You'll see that sermon outline and I've got a heading there to say to start with. It is often hard to tell truth from tabloid, isn't it? It is hard to tell truth from tabloid. On the 6th of May, 2023, this year, not long away, King Charles III will be coronated. King Charles III will be coronated alongside Camilla, who is the Queen Consort. I'm not really sure what that means, but they'll have crowns on their heads. Officially crowned. A coronation is a ceremony um, where a sovereign is officially crowned, uh, the placing of the crown on the head, although King Charles is already the king. Uh, this says, for everyone to see, this is the king. Officially. Now, millions are expected to watch that coronation. I'm not sure if you're expecting to watch or planning to watch. I haven't thought about it beyond thinking about this morning and how the 6th of May and that coronation really says a lot about our society, even here in Australia. You see, we've got a whole group of people that have become known as the Royal Watchers. So whether you're concerned about watching a crown being placed on a king's head... That's not why people watch the royal family by and large today. We don't watch them necessarily uh, just for their coronations. We don't watch them just for their parades. The royal family has become a feature of our news, our tabloid news for some time now. I mean, there was Harry and Meg's wedding. Uh, I did see snippets of that. I didn't watch the whole thing, I confess. Um, <laughs> There was, of course, uh, they're separating from the service of the royal family, which has been on our screens and in the magazines quite a lot. There was the Netflix documentary about Harry and Meg separating from the royal family, which Amy and I did watch, simply because there's so much going around, there's so much rumour, words, and innuendo, it's hard to know what's true and what's not in any of these things. And how do we actually treat people, care for people, or speak about people? There's Harry's book, Spare. The Spare or Spare, I actually haven't read it, I confess, but there's his book as well. Of course, there was the death of the Queen and her husband, and now Charles is in charge of our days and our nights. If you're from the 80s, you understand what that means. That was a show, Charles in Charge. As I said, Amy and I watched the documentary. I haven't read the book. I generally, I confess, don't get time to read Women's Day or New Idea or Take Five or That's Life or Who Magazine or TV Week. These are all the magazines, by the way, that you can see at Coles or Woolies, just before you check out. They're the ones you see display with everyone's life before you. These are all the magazines that will have headlines, including, because I checked it out this week, I thought I'd better get this right, amongst the tabloid news, Women's Day are running this headline, Harry confesses, Megan was a mistake. How would you like that if, if uh, someone magazine is reporting that uh, you said your wife was a mistake? New idea ran this this week. Megan banned from the UK. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. Part of me doesn't care that much. I don't know if I should. But part of me is like, well, is that true? And I care about truth. Because next week they'll run a different line. Megan didn't want to go back to the UK. Look, I'm not friends, I'm not trying to be media watch, all right? Uh, and between Married at First Sight, The Bachelor and Home and Away, you get the picture that the royal family has just become for us tabloid news. It's either Maths or it's Megs. And the royal family features so prominently 
All these people, all these shows, all these celebs feature so prominently, it is so hard to tell truth from tabloid. And friends, our world really needs truth. Like we are in desperate need of truth. And truth sets us free because what do lies do? See, lies are not just like little white things. There's no such thing as a little white lie. There's no such thing as a half-truth. A half-truth is a lie. But fundamentally, what do lies do? Have you thought about this? What is the problem with lies? What is the problem with false? What is the problem with not having truth? Lies actually enslave us. They capture us. They hide things from us. And eventually, the father of lies and all his lies leads to us walking away from God and living a very short life until we die forever. Friends, truth is priceless. In a world where we're often self-deceived, we need to hear the truth about reality. We have very short lives and we don't want to waste them with lies. And this episode before us, this Palm Sunday, gets us to meet the truth up close and personal in Jesus Christ. This is the reality of the real King in our world. As Chris read, we read, and I hope you got John 18 in front of you, John 18, verse 28, as Chris read that, as we saw that, as you read that, we've seen Jesus throughout John's Gospel. If you're ever in any doubt about who Jesus is, read the reality for yourself. You know, people say all sorts of things. I think God would be like this. Well, how would you know? How would you know what God is like unless you listen to him? It's like saying, I just met you this morning and I think you're like this. That would be an incredibly arrogant statement to make. That I think you're like this without having actually listened to you. God has given us his book, his Bible, his word. He's given us John's gospel to listen to him, to meet him, to get to know him. And as we've been through John's Gospel and we're nearly finished this season, this coming Easter, on Risen Sunday, we will close this book and finish, for the time being, hearing it preached into our hearts. But as we've met Jesus, as the religious rulers of the day have met Jesus, now we see him, Jesus, being led into religious court. The high court now he's led into, of the Roman governor Pilate, the high court of the land of that city. And as the Jewish authorities do this, look how pious they pretend to be. We do this too in our world. I'm a spiritual person. I have my religion. But they have that too. They're staring the very God in the face, the God who runs the universe, they're staring him in the face and what do they do? They tie him up and they lead him. And look at verse 28. As they do so, they themselves did not enter the governor's quarters so they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. Do you see the irony before us here? Here are the religious rulers pretending to be pious and you know what they're doing? So they can take part in the Passover. So they can look like they're being religious to everybody else around them. So they can tick the box of their attendance of the religious duties they need to do. They bring an innocent man to false accusation and his death. They are so defiled by their own depravity. And then as they bring Jesus to Pilate the governor, 
Do you see the whole load of lies they bring? Look at verse 29-30. They don't even have an answer for the accusation question. They don't have a real answer for what they're doing. Verse 29, Pilate went outside and said to them, what accusation did they bring against this man? And they answered him, well, if this man wasn't doing evil, we wouldn't have, it, we wouldn't have delivered him to you. That's not an answer. That's not an answer. They're just saying, just trust us. No, what has he done? Why has he been brought to high court? Come again? Pilate's question is, what accusation do you bring against this man? And the answer is, just trust us, we know what we're doing, for he has been doing evil. Really? Is that real? Sounds like you're making it up already. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let's meet the Sanhedrin. The Sadducees, the Pharisees. People who squall amongst themselves anyway, who, who can't agree on anything but let's kill Jesus. The very ones who claim to be religious critics and critiquers of everything that Jesus did, the very ones who Jesus has to keep saying to them, have you not read? Have you not read the scriptures? Have you not read? The very ones that Jesus has to keep saying to them are these guys who are genuine hypocrites. Because they've read, they just never understood and they don't believe the Scriptures. We read Isaiah 53 earlier. It was our cross-reference passage. They have read Isaiah 53 and they can't see that Isaiah 53 is happening before their very eyes. The very ones who in their hypocrisy now come with no real answer to the question, but instead they're bullying, they bring Jesus to die and pretend they're not being defiled by that. Totally okay. Totally okay to bring an innocent man to die, to murder him, and then we're going to go and tick the box of religion. Of course, verse 32, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. The false accusations, really the lack of any actual accusation against Jesus, means this whole thing is a sinful farce of people who don't want Jesus as their real Passover lamb. Jesus had been led to Pilate, this corrupt sham of so-called civil proceedings. And then they pretend to obey the law. Oh, it's not lawful for us to um, put anyone to death, by the way. This is the reality of the real King Jesus. Now, Pilate goes inside and he brings Jesus with him. And what follows with Pilate, who is now the focus of the rest of this episode... What follows with Pilate is a back and forth, in and out, between Pilate and Jesus and Pilate and the Jews. Pilate, presuming the so-called evil Jesus, has been doing evil and deserving of death, perhaps hearing around the traps through his intelligence reports that this Jesus may have been trying to form himself up as a king. Verse 15, sorry, John 6, 15 we know that the crowd earlier in John's Gospel had been trying to make Jesus a king because Jesus, perceiving they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. That's John 6. This has happened before. Maybe Pilate's heard that. And so Pilate asks, verse 33, John 18, verse 33, you can see it there, Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Here is a key question. When it comes to anything about Jesus... Here are two key questions you need to keep in mind. 
And that is if you're meeting him for the 77th time or the first or the second or the seventh time. Here are two key questions about Jesus. And you can't live and die without answering these questions for yourself. First one is, who is he? Who is he really? Who is Jesus really? That's a key question. You need to answer that question. You need to believe with your whole heart what the answer to that question is. Who is he? You need to not cease until you've got an answer to the question, who is Jesus? Second question, what has he done? Who is Jesus and what has he done? And these are the two questions that Pilate asks right now. Verse 34, John 18, 34, Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priests, have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Friends, we need to believe that today. When we try in all sorts of other ways, worldly ways, to establish Jesus in our society. Jesus has just defined for Pilate, for us, what his kingdom is about, but what it is not about. Jesus' kingdom, we need to hear this, Jesus' kingdom is not of worldly winds and influence. Jesus' kingdom is not winning the way the world wins and influencing the way the world influences. Jesus' kingdom is not of politics and media platforms. Jesus' kingdom is not about leveraging things in this world to make things go Christianity's way. Jesus' kingdom is one where the king is crucified. Do you see Jesus' words? The Holy Spirit has breathed them onto the Bible for you to see and believe this. Jesus saying his kingdom is out of this world. It is out of this world and yet it is over this world. His kingdom is out of this world and it is over this world. See, when you look at Jesus being led away, who are we looking at? We've seen this in John. Who is Jesus? It was in our call of worship that Ryan read. John 1. Who is Jesus? The answer to that question, who is Jesus according to John's gospel? He's God. He's not just being kind of accidentally or intentionally submitting to a political arrest and trial because he's being an example to us as, as some sort of liberation, political theology sort of mess. He's God. It's his plan. When you look at Jesus, you are looking at the sovereign Lord of the universe. When you look at Jesus being tied up and led away, you're looking at raw power exercised. Anyone can fight people. Anyone can draw a sword. Anyone can do what rulers in Europe are doing right now and saying, 
we'll just bring a tactical nuke upon your city. Don't go near us or stop our war because we'll, we'll threaten you with sword. You know what the word sword means in the Bible? Often it's attached to politics. Because that's what politics does. Politics says, you will do this or else I will make you. I will make you by law. That's not power. That's pretend power. That's hypocrisy and pretend power from people who are paranoid and threatened by people who will turn to dust. You want to see raw power, real power? It's the one who runs the universe by his word who then says, yeah, I'll be led away. The one who can call 12,000 legion of angels in one moment and says, take me away to a cross. That's power. That's power more than presence on social media, more than political power in any world or United Nations. That's power. And so Pilate, staring at power in the face, in his own court, looks at him, verse 37, and says, So are you a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Friends, I've got a diagnostic question for you. I'm not a doctor, Jim. Sorry, I think it's a Star Wars. Is it? No, it's Star Trek. One of the stars. I'm, I'm not a doctor. and I can't read your heart. Only the Lord can, and he can hear it right now. The words, the motivations, the intentions of your heart. He is in the room. He is next to you. If you're a believer, he's in you. He knows what you are saying in your heart right now. I can't. Because I'm really, really a sinner, saved by grace, but who wants to ask this of myself as I examine myself and we need to ask it. Are you of the truth? Look at Jesus' words. Everyone of the truth listens to my voice. It starts, if you're wondering, am I in with Jesus? Am I safe with God? Am I safe from the judgment, the wrath to come? Am I safe? It starts by this. When I listen to Jesus' words in the Bible, do I believe it? And where I struggle and I say, I believe, but help me in my unbelief, do I pray, do I ask, help me to understand, help me to say, I want to see, I want to see Jesus, I want to believe this. Well, friend, if that's you, you are listening to the truth, you're of the truth. But if you're just sitting here thinking, I just can't wait until I get out of here because I've got better things to do. Friends, I implore you before you enter into eternity on the day that you leave this world, listen to the truth. Listen to Jesus. Because one day you and I are going to listen to him whether we like it or not. He is going to speak with a sword coming out of his mouth. Revelation tells us he will speak and the whole world, every single mouth from presidents to premiers, their mouth will be stopped and we will need to listen to Jesus. But now he's speaking to us and he says he's the king. The king that has come to die. Are we listening to Jesus? There are two ways to live in this world. You're either with Christ or you're not. And yet many of us try for a third way. Well, I want to be agnostic with the truth. In other words, I don't really know. It's like reading Women's Day or New Idea. No offence if you're a Wednesday reader, by the way, a new idea. That's, 
It's like, it's like, I don't really know the truth. Maybe the Bible's like a tabloid. That's actually not the Bible at fault. That's us. Because God has made himself known. What else would he need to do to come into the world and break in and the word become flesh to reveal himself? But there's Pilate who has an army, who has intelligence officers, who needs to keep tabs on things in Jerusalem, which is a city of riots, who would know of Jesus, who would perhaps have guessed this time's coming. In fact, we know from Matthew's gospel, Matthew, Luke, look it up later, Pilate's wife has a dream about Jesus. And says, have nothing to do with this man. And there is Pilate staring at Jesus in the face. And what does he say in verse 38? What is truth? What is truth? Friends, our society is coming out of its postmodern fog. People say postmodernity reigned until 9-11. If you don't know what postmodernity is, it was a it was a way of thinking where we said, you may have heard it said, well, that's your truth, that's nice for you, this is my truth and that's nice for me and, and we can have different truths and that can exist in our pluralistic society. Except we don't really believe that anymore because you're not allowed to have your truth anymore. But aside from that, when 9-11 happened, that was the day when people said, is it, is it true there can be like all truths? But then ever since then, because that was a long time ago, we haven't been debating it in the theological or societal, or university halls, we've been living it out in outrage on social media at one another. We don't believe there's multiple truths. But our society is coming out of its postmodern fog. Of course, the problem with postmodernity of saying there are different truths and they can be equal, that statement in itself is a statement, an assertion of what's true that statement in itself. There are different truths. You're then claiming to be the higher authority and you decide how truth can work. It doesn't work, friends. It's a fog. It's confusing. Now, you can't have multiple truths. Now, whether Pilate's being a postmodern of his day, we don't see exactly, but he says, what is truth? What is going on for Pilate, we see in John 18. After he had said this, verse 38, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, and here's what's going on for Pilate. He says this, I find no guilt in him. Do you see how many times he says that in this episode? How many times does Pilate say, I find no guilt in him, he's innocent? It's multiple. Verse 39, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, so here's the opportunity. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, Barabbas. ESV reads, now Barabbas was a robber. You might have a footnote, insurrectionist. We know from the other gospels, the synoptics, the word murderer is used. The irony is this. Our sinful society continues to seek after lies. We would rather be set free, we think, by believing lies when lies actually hold us captive. Here we see they would rather set free a murderer. They'd rather set free a murderer than 
themselves have this murderer go free in their society than have someone who has never killed anyone. It should be not lost on us who Barabbas is and what he has done. You should ask that question of him too, not just of Jesus, but who is Barabbas and what has he done? Well, as I said, he's murderer, but do you know his name? You might have heard the name Abba. What's that name mean? What's that word? It means father. Bar Abbas, son of the father. Here is the one whose name is son of the father, but they're looking at the real son of the father. They're looking at the one that John 1.14 said, the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. People want lies. And what happens that day and every single day in history in our day is that we so readily replace the real king with a fake. Pilate finds no guilt in Jesus. And what we do is go along with it. We just want to replace the real king with a fake. For here in the high court of the land, there's nothing wrong with him. He's been examined, but to placate the Jews, Pilate now plays politics. Chapter 19, verse 1, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Do you see what they're doing? They're maiming and mocking Jesus with a crown of thorns. And only to make Pilate's point to satisfy the crowd, he's hoping that will be enough. Is it ever enough? Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know I find, again, no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! But is this enough? Is it enough in our society anymore to mock Jesus? Is it enough? No, it never satisfies the ravenous beast that snort for his blood. Verse 6, chapter 19, verse 6, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him for yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. You could imagine Pilate shaking. I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him. Now, if you've ever done crowd control in your life, that is, if you have small children in your life, or you've... um, Help serve with Kids Church. Thank the Lord for those who serve in Kids Church. Kids Church, of course, is not just crowd control. In fact, I hear it's beautiful and a bare minimum. But if you've ever tried to help a crowd, it's a sort of thing that brings fear to your heart. This politician has a thinly veiled grasp on the management of the crowd that day. See, we think politicians do noble jobs by making laws that are good for us. Politicians just follow the wagon. They follow the smell, the way culture's going. It seems everybody likes this, so let's make a law that everybody will like, because they'll like me. The Jews answered him, we have a law. Oh, here we go. Finally, some legality to all this sham. Oh, we have a law. We've just thought of it. 
According to the law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. This rattles Pilate to his core. Verse 8. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He's not afraid of the crowd so much. Now, he's more afraid. Look around at our world. Lots of people claim to be God. That's nothing new. Caesar claimed to be God. Great, glorious influences of our day, thought leaders of our day. But what makes Pilate afraid is not the number of followers that Jesus has. It's not the claims that Jesus is Dr. Jesus Christ. It's not the claims that he's come to unite all other leaders in the city under his banner. It's not the claim that he claims to be from the largest discipleship organization going around in this nation. That's not what makes Pilate stand back in awe of fear. It's that he finds no guilt in him in a person who says his kingdom is out of this world and who legitimately may even be the son of God in Pilate's eyes. And whatever Pilate understands by that, he is shaken to his soul. It's Matthew's gospel, I've just remembered. It's Matthew's gospel, round about chapter 26, 27, towards the end. It's Pilate's wife. She had been speaking to him. You can go and look up later. She had been speaking to him and saying, I don't know what's going on. She had a dream about Jesus. Don't go near him. So Pilate, with all his context, I think it's Matthew 27, Pilate, in all his context, remember, this is a man who has authority. He's the leader of an army over a city. He's a struggling statesman, though, in this episode. And he enters his headquarters and he says to Jesus in verse 9, he says this, and you can imagine the fear in his voice. He says this in verse 9. Have a look. Where are you from? Who are you and what have you done? Who are you? Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate is feeling the pressure. And with all that peer pressure and bullying from the bang crowd, what does he do? He wants to show that he calls the shots. And so he says to Jesus, almost with desperation, verse 10, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you is the greatest sin. See, the real king with authority, real authority stands there. Raw power, reigned in, who reigns as king. Pilate is not in control. Jesus is in control. And from then on we read, Pilate sought to release him. And the Jews know Pilate's Achilles heel. Verse 12, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Caesar the man. Caesar who gives us all our political privileges. Can you see their sin? They're wrong, they're evil. On any other day, they don't want Caesar as their king. But when it suits them, when it suits them that politics is going their way, the wind is blowing their way, oh sure, we'll use politics for what we want to do. And they don't actually believe that God is in control and he's come for them. They replace the real king with a fake. Verse 15, they cry out, away with him, away with him, 
crucify him. Pilate says in one last act of desperation, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Who is on trial here? Who is on trial here? Here is the episode of Jesus Christ under trial, yes. But because Jesus himself is grace and truth personified, the real son of the father, he's the real king out of this world, he's coming to this world. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's why he's come. In one sense, truth is on trial here. The truth of Jesus is on trial. And this is written for us in the Bible, for us to see, because really, we're also on trial. The questioning now comes for you and me. Who do you believe Jesus is? And what do you believe Jesus has come to do? We are one week away from Easter. Look at Jesus. Do you see a guilty person? Next week, we'll see a guilty person and another guilty person die on crosses. But then between them, there's a man who has been declared several times there's no guilt, but he dies on a cross. That third man, that man between the other two. Why does he die? Why does he do that? Who he is, not guilty, why does he die? He doesn't die to make a political point. He doesn't die out of protest. He doesn't die to be noble. Why does he die? He dies for you. He dies for you. If only you would believe it. Anyone who would rather run life their way without God, anyone who would rather any king in control of their life but Christ, is rejecting the real king and replacing him with a fake one. You might as well say, King Charles III is my king. I have no king but King Charles III. And friends, we've all done that. We've all done that. You know, we don't make, I don't think anyone here, I mean, I could be wrong. No one's made King Charles III your ruling king, personal of your life. You don't read his books to see how to live your life necessarily, to do your gardening or to do anything else in your life. But we do other things. Might not be New Idea or Woman's Day, but we read things during the week, we watch things during the week, we let other things disciple us, we let other things shape our lives, we have other things fill our hearts, fill our minds, we let something else be Lord. And we do it so easily, so readily. We replace the real king with a fake one. And if you're wondering who that ultimately is, well, I know where to look. For me, it's in a mirror. That's where I see sometimes the king of my life being replaced. 
I want to run life my way, thanks. Jesus, your lordship extends to everything, but just not part of this part of my life. That's the one that I want to keep just for me. No, he's the real king. His kingdom is out of this world, but it's over the whole world, including your life. Do you believe that? And do you live like that's true? And politics is important, yes. But we need to remember this reality. Ryan earlier was praying for our world. There are lots of things happening in our world that are just symptoms of people replacing King Jesus. A shooting last week where a Presbyterian minister's daughter was killed. That was a world away in America, wasn't it? But you don't have to look far to see what the problem is. It's sin. It's replacing Jesus' kingship with a fake king. An invasion of a sovereign nation by basically a dictating bully. The way in which violence happens in families. The way in which, as we heard yesterday, often people are not safe in their own homes. It's replacing King Jesus with a fake king. Politics is important, but here's what kings and premiers need to know. They will return to dust. Politics isn't real power, it's pretend and temporary power. Vladimir Putin, Alexander Lukashenko, Xi Jinping, Kim Jong-un are all on the path of Pilate. They're all on the clock. All are going to return to dust and all will be on trial for how they have lived with Jesus as king or not. We will all meet the perfect judge. Your boss, your authority over you and your employment, good or bad, all of us are human and are on the clock. All of us, you and I, will die and face judgment. But by putting our faith in the real king who is Christ, we get to belong to the kingdom, to the king who is the victor. See, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Notice what Jesus says. If my kingdom was of this world, what would happen right now? His servants would bust through like the Avengers assembled and they'd deliver him from the Jews. That's what he says, except the Avengers assembled bit. But look at this. Chapter 18, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. A cross-reference passage is Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The power of the gospel is countercultural to our political world. The power of the gospel is upside down, inside out. Political power is used to make people do things. The gospel power is exercised by Jesus to free us to be able to live for him. And the gospel power is there for us to believe, to love like Jesus. See, the power of the gospel, the power of Christ is, it's not that his servants would fight for political freedom. Do you know what the power of the gospel is? That he goes to a cross and fights at the cross for our eternal liberation. Today is for you and I to do what Pilate didn't do. It's for you and I to say, we have no king 
but Jesus. So let's belong to this out-of-the-world kingdom. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that today, this week, we would behold our King Jesus, that we would daily, by believing in him, have life in his name. Thank you that the one who had no guilt in him took the blame, took the guilt, took my shame, our shame, and went to the cross. Thank you that Christ is our confidence in this political turmoil of our world, in a world of injustice, in a world of sin. Thank you that now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Amen.